Well, first off, thank you for the ones who did get out in this pouring down rain tonight. And I would suspect that some of you sewed into the portico tonight. Well, I bet we got offerings into the portico. How many of you sewed? No, you don't have to tell me. Yeah, look at all the hands, though, that went up before I said you don't have to tell me. It would have been a great night to have the porticos, wouldn't it? Yes. I know it is a great thing to be able to do that. I have been wanting those ever since they went back and looked at I was right when I told Keith that. The very next year, I said, put the porticos on our vision list because we need those porticos. And so they will be a great thing for you guys. And I'm so excited to get them because you could just drive up underneath those things or just, you know, it's going to be a great thing. So anyway, I am so excited about tonight. Um, Devin can tell you he's probably about the only one, but uh, I gave him some information on this. Back in, oh man, it's probably been two years ago. And I've had it on my heart to do this and I've wanted to do it and it just hasn't been right. But when Keith started teaching this series, I thought, it's right. And it it just hooks right in with what he was teaching on Sunday. And it is something that is so near and dear to my heart. It is something that I have probably dealt with every day of my life and that is not an exaggeration it is something that i have had to either pray about or or, or deal with somebody about or or believe with somebody about i have had it in my family i have had it close to me i have had people in in my life that have died with it i have had Close, rel- close relatives that have been addicted their whole lives. I have had um, two close of family members that have died, that it wrenches your heart and tears you apart. And I'm still dealing with the consequences every single day because of it. I deal with it every single day, yet now with family members that have had problems with it and have problems with it. And anybody that has ever dealt with anyone that's had any kind of chemical dependency, you know what I'm talking about. You know what it's like to deal with a family member or a friend or a relative or just anybody that's had any kind of dependency of any kind. You want to... One day, you want to wring their neck and take a baseball bat and hit them upside the head. And the next day, you want to cuddle them and say, it's going to be okay. And if you don't understand what I'm saying, maybe by the time the night's over, you'll understand it a little bit more so that you can minister to people. And if... You don't understand what I'm talking about, um, bless you. But if you're in here and you are the one that's had issues with this, I believe tonight is Get Free Night. On the Internet, it's Get Free Night. And if you can hear me and at some point get you some elements of communion, you'll understand why at the end. And uh, it's, it's a... It's 
I don't know how to express how horrible a thing it is that the devil is able to do in people's lives. But maybe before the night is over, you'll understand a little bit more of it. Let me read you some stats that I got off the Internet. An estimated 208 million people consume illegal drugs. Now, that's a number. 208 million. 45% of high school students drink alcohol. 20% of 12-year-olds and there above drink alcohol. Say that with me. 12-year-olds. 12-year-olds. Do we have a 12-year-old in here tonight? Uh-huh. Stand up. Yeah. You see how young 12-year-olds is? That's young. 12-year-olds. That's young. I'm not trying to put them on the spot, but that's young. Eighth grade. What grade are you in? Seventh grade. What grade are you in? Sixth. Eighth grade. Y'all can sit down. 15.6% of eighth graders are doing drugs. Nineteen. 0.7% smoke pot at least once a month. Eighth graders. Now that's a number, isn't it? So what does this tell you? There's a problem. There's a problem. And you can say, well, my kids are Christians. I got news for you. It's happening with Christians as well as it's happening with everybody else. I used to think the church was a safe haven and nobody in the church was doing these sort of things. But you know what? It's happening with church people. It's happening the world wide over. It was no coincidence tonight. I walked out of my bedroom to get ready to come to church. And they were talking about somebody else might have seen the news tonight. Um, right before I came, I mean, just right before I walked out the door. They said in, I believe, the state of Arizona, somebody raise your hand if you saw it. In the state of Arizona, they captured all these pills that they were trying to make look like your regular pain pill, your Lortab, your uh, basic um, medicines. I don't know what all they said. I didn't write it down but your basic medicines, and they were bringing them in and changing the United States regular medicines and lacing them with fentanyl. And they said, one pill laced with this stuff, if you buy it on the street, one pill, everybody hold up your finger, just one. You guys over here seeing it. One pill. Just one. Laced with this stuff. Can kill you. 
this woman was crying and telling how her son had gotten a hold to just one pill and he was about to graduate from college and he died. One pill. It was not a coincidence that I saw that. Just as it, did anybody else see it? No, y'all were probably already here because I was late later than y'all. I'm real close. I'm really close to here. The Lord did me a favor because I'm his favorite. Don't forget it. He gave me this house. I'm telling y'all. Y'all just don't know the story. Sometimes I'll tell y'all again so y'all know the story behind it. Anyway, anyway, that's some staggering numbers. That's why I wanted the youth and the kids and everybody in here tonight. Do you understand that? Okay. All right. So let me read you guys Keith's scripture. Okay, I want you guys, you know, to remember this scripture so that you'll understand where we're coming from. Luke 13, 15. Yeah, he read it out of the King James, so we'll just read it out of the King James, too, so you'll get it. Uh, wait, that's, uh-uh, that's not right. Maybe, maybe I got it wrong. Uh, somebody tell me uh, it's not Luke then. Um, 1311. Start with 11. Maybe that's where I got it wrong. Luke 1311. Try that. Yeah, that's it. Okay. And behold, there was a woman which had a spirit of infirmity. Read that next part with me. Now, let's try it again. Everybody read with me. Last week, y'all were too quiet for me. I went home and I thought, what was going on? So y'all, y'all have to help me tonight, okay? A spirit of infirmity, how many years? Eighteen years. years. So if you've had an addiction or you've had a problem, 18 years, 20 years, this is just a number, 50 years, 18 years and was bowed out over and could in no wise lift up herself. And when Jesus saw her, he called her to him and said unto her, Woman, you are what? Loosed from your infirmity. And he laid his hands on her and what? Immediately. And what? Immediately. She was made straight. And glorified God. And the ruler of the synagogue answered with indignation because that was that Jesus had healed on the Sabbath day. And he said to the people, there are six days in which thou art to work. And in them come and be healed and not on the Sabbath day. Then the Lord answered him and said, you hypocrite. Doth not each one of you on the Sabbath loose his ox or his ass from the stall and lead him away to watering? And ought not this woman, being a daughter of Abraham, whom who? Satan has bound, lo, these 18 years, be loosed from this bond on the Sabbath day. So, if you've seen anybody that has been bound, that has an affliction. Now again, I want to remind you, I have been very up close and personal The staff knows I'm telling the truth with people with addictions. I took one that was addicted into my home and raised them. 
turned their life around. The Lord helped us. But what you have to decide is can love help fix people? But how do you do it? Can you help fix people? And how do you do it? Stayed clean for years and years and years and years and years. Then went back to the environment that they came out of and got right back in it. And is dead today. How do you deal with it? Number one, you have to love them, but you can't give in to them. But you do have to love them. They have to know that they have somebody that loves them, always. You always love them. Two o'clock in the morning, three o'clock in the morning. I can remember vividly people calling me at two o'clock in the morning saying, I'm about to take these drugs. Why are they calling me? Why are they calling me at two o'clock in the morning? Because they don't want to take the drugs. They want someone to talk them out of it. That person is a music minister at a church today. They have to know that they are a good person in spite of... They have to know that you know them doing that is wrong. You don't make any bones about that. You doing that is wrong. But I love you anyway. You're not bad. The drugs are bad. You have to differentiate between the two. You're not bad. That's bad. And they have to know that you're going to love them no matter what. And like I say, we have had some really up close and personal people with this. But you have to let people know you're going to love them no matter what. I didn't say they have to live in your house. I didn't say you have to give them all your money. I didn't say you have to let them rob you blind and you lose everything you've got. I said you have to let them know you love them, but what they're doing is not right. Let's go on. The reason that you need to understand this is, let me ask you a question. How many of you have ever tried to lose five pounds? Ten pounds. How many of you have ever tried to give up coffee or soda or sweets? That's pretty much by the time it's over with every person in the room. Branson, let's put Branson on the screen. See if we can tell off on them instead of just us. Put, put Branson up on the screen. How many of y'all ever tried to lose five pounds? How many of y'all ever tried to give up sweets? 
How many of y'all ever tried to start exercising? The reason I ask you that is because it's really, 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 and I keep saying that really, 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 easy to judge someone that's addicted to something and never look at yourself. The next time you do it, look at yourself and say, could I not eat that when I wanted to? Did I start exercise when I said I was going to exercise? And then you might be a little bit more lenient on that person that said they were going to give up something that's even harder to do than anything you've ever done. Because once some of these drugs get a hold of you, it's like cutting off your arm or your leg when you've got to give it up. So we, as the body of Christ, should have compassion to try to help and love people. I didn't say we give in to these people. I didn't say we give them all of our money. I didn't say we let them live in our houses if they're continuing to do these things. But you always love them. They should always know, I love you, I don't love that. So, why do people do this? Why do people turn to drugs and alcohol? Low self-image. If you look at the things that people say a lot of times, there's about a dozen things, people that I've dealt with personally, a lot of them have been abused. I said a lot of them, not all of them. A lot of them have been abused when they were younger, physically, mentally, emotionally abused. A lot of them have just all their lives been a square peg in a round hole. They just never fit in with anybody. Just never seem to fit in. So they look for something to where they just fit in with their self. Then another one is, they just go to school and that's what the crowd's doing. They're going to fit in with the crowd. And just one beer, just one hit, I won't, I won't get addicted. I'm stronger than that. I, I won't get addicted. I know how strong I am. But there's... Lots of reasons why people do it. I know lots, lots, and lots of women that's had abortions that's wound up being drug addicts, alcoholics, condemned. I, I can't tell you how many of them I know. So they feel condemned over that, so now they feel condemned over being a drug addict. So it just multiplies one after the other. This condemnation, they had sex. Then this condemnation, they got pregnant. Then this condemnation, they had an abortion. Now this condemnation, they stay drugged up all the time. 
So they just feel like they're in a spiral that they can never get out of. But what did this say? Immediately. Amen. Immediately. God set her free. Amen. Immediately. There's so many people in the world that are condemned about something that has happened to them in their past. There's so many people in the world that are condemned about something that they've done. And they just want to forget about it. They just want to not think about it. Well, there is a way to not think about it that you won't be condemned about it. There's a way to get, get it clean completely out of you and washed completely clean out of you. There's a way that you never have to be condemned another day in your life. There's a Jesus that paid an enormous price for you. He paid a price for you that He will wash you. And I know you say, well, I'm saved. Yeah, but you didn't give it to Him. You, you, You went to the altar and you came right back and you took it back. I know whereof I'm speaking of. I grew up in a household that was difficult, I'll put it that way. You have to turn loose of things. You have to choose to not think about things. You have to give them to the Lord. And you have to say, Father, I give this to you. It's not mine anymore. It's all yours. And if you do that more than once, you might have to do it for a year. But if it happened when you were a child and you get to be 62, you won't think about it every day. Even if you have to do it for a year. You hear me? Even if you have to do it for a year. You won't live your life with it. And most people won't have to do it for a year. They won't have to do it for a week. The Lord will take it away from them. He'll remove it from them. They won't wake up with it. They won't have nightmares about it. They won't have horror stories about it. He will remove it from you and wash you clean to where you don't think about it anymore. He will erase it from your... If he can forget stuff, he says, I don't remember your sins anymore. He said, I don't remember your sins anymore. So if he don't remember your sins anymore, why should you remember your sins anymore? Why should anybody? We should be able to minister this to anyone and say, God doesn't remember your sins anymore. You don't have to remember them anymore. And it should be able to help them. Are you understanding some things? What happens, though, is this. 
many times have you heard me lately say spiritual things every time I've ministered, right? Or what? Spiritual things are spiritual things are spiritual. What happens is you have a bad day. And instead of going to the Word or going to church or putting on some good lift-me-up music like the peace of God or I always win or hold on or, or something that is victorious to you, overcome. That we're overcomers. You get in your room and you listen to something down. Or, God forbid, you think, you know what, I don't, I've never done this before, but I think I'm just going to, other people said, the Bible says it's okay to go get a drink, I'm just going to take me a drink. Now, I have a problem with drinking because I grew up with an alcoholic. Other people don't. To each his own, do what the Bible tells you to do. But I have a problem with it because I grew up with an alcoholic. But I'm going to tell you what I think about it. I think there's precedent for it in the Word. It's the same thing with drugs. This is the part I want to get to here. Where are you going to go get this drink from? Do you just happen to have it in your house? Is it already just in your cabinet? You just happen to have an automatic liquor cabinet when you moved in your house. It was just built in when you moved in your house. Right? Right? And I see some people just looking at me, but that's okay. You do you. Do you. I'm telling you how to get free. Exactly. Amen. I deal with youth every day that are going to youth and getting drunk or doing drugs. You do you. Okay? Just don't come crying to me when your youth come, turns out to be a drug addict or an alcoholic. No, do come crying to me. I'll help you. I lie. No, I didn't lie. I just will help you. It's just easier to fix it now than it is then. Where did the liquor come from that's in your house? You had to go to the bar or the liquor store, didn't you? Right? You had to go to one of them places. You had to go. To one of them places. Now, Rob didn't understand what I was going to do with this. These are, these are worms. I'm going to pretend like they're snakes. Yeah, they're, they're not real. I'm going to pretend like they're snakes. 
Okay? They're just, you know, this is the liquor store. This is the liquor store. Okay? Somebody's going to have to clean these up. I'm not. But this is the liquor store. Okay? Now, I'm going to walk in the door of this liquor store. Here, here comes. I'm going to walk in the bar. I'm going to walk in the liquor store. Now, I want you to tell me who has been in this bar and who has been in this liquor store. Drunk people, drug addicts. Who else? Alcoholics. Huh? Who's been in these places? People in bondage. People People that's yielded to alcoholism. People that's yielded to spirits of drinking. Spiritual things are what? What are we? We are spirits. We are spirit beings. When you walk in that liquor store, you open yourself up to being on their turf. And there's all these spirits everywhere. And how close do you want to get to the spirit of alcoholism? You're on their turf. You're opening yourself up to that spirit. You're hanging around that spirit. Oh, I won't get it. I won't get it. The devil is walking about as a roaring lion seeking... Well, you know what? He wouldn't be seeking you if you were someplace else. He wouldn't be able to find you if you weren't in that liquor store to buy liquor to put in your liquor cabinet. I have a problem with liquor. Can you tell? You may think you can just drink one. Ask your kids if they can just drink one when they get in your liquor cabinet. And if you think they ain't getting in your liquor cabinet, you better think again. Same thing with your medicine cabinet. You think prescription drugs... Kids ain't here in school. Do you not know that kids are going around school his age selling prescription drugs? Kids, stand up. All the kids in here, stand up. Now, wave your hands if anybody has ever offered you or you've been around any kids selling prescription drugs. Raise your hands up real high. Look at how old these kids are. 
I mean, it's happening to Christian kids. It happens. Y'all can sit down. They have to deal with it every single day. Put a lock on that medicine cabinet. At least put a lock on that liquor cabinet. Do what you have to do to protect yourself, protect your kids. These are addictions. These are spirits. I dealt with somebody one time, and they said, I just wish somebody would have told me how bad it could get. I just wish somebody would have told me that I would have lost my wife, my kids, my job, my money, my sanity, and I would be living on the street. I just wish somebody would have told me. Well, I'm telling you tonight. I'm telling you, it can get that way. It starts with one. I want to show you a video. Wait, let me read you this first. Then I'll show you this video. Everybody thinks about this particular passage of Scripture about men and sex. It's an addiction, just like everything else. It applies to this. But that's not what I want to apply it to tonight. I want to apply it to every kind of addiction. Sex, drugs, alcohol, porn, stealing, any kind of addiction you have. Sugar. Any kind of addiction you have in your life. Too many video games. If you've neglected your family by just sitting playing. Whatever it is in your life. Addiction. Okay? Listen to this. And think about... An addiction either you have or you know somebody that has and see if it doesn't apply. Proverbs 5. My son, pay attention to my wisdom. Turn your ear to my words of insight that you may maintain discretion and your lips may preserve knowledge. For the lips... Of an adulterous woman, drip honey, or an adulterous drug, or an adulterous anything, drip honey. Her speech is smoother than oil, but in the end, she's as bitter as gall, sharp as a two-edged sword. Her feet go down to death. Do doing drugs take you to death? Does becoming an alcoholic take you to death? Do other things? Take you to death, sex addicts, other things. Her steps lead you straight to the grave. She gives no thought to the way of life. Her paths wander aimlessly, but she does not know it. Now then, my sons, listen to me. Do not turn aside from what I say. Keep to a path, what? Far from her. Keep to a path far from from her. Do not go near the door of her house, 
lest you lose your honor to others and your dignity to the one who is cruel, lest strangers feast on your wealth and your toil enrich the house of another. At the end of your life, you will groan. When your flesh and body are spent, you will say, how I hated discipline, how my heart spurned correction. I would not obey my teachers or turn my ear to my instructors. And I was soon in serious trouble in the assembly of God's people. Why embrace the bosom of a wayward woman? For your ways are in full view of the Lord, and he examines your path. The evil deeds of the wicked ensnare them. The cords of their sins hold them fast. For lack of discipline, they will die, led astray by their own great folly. Now, do you think that could apply to a lot of different things besides just a woman? I want you to understand the best way to avoid addictions of any kind is what? Stay far from them. Stay far from them. The devil is so tricky. He sets a trap for you to fall into. And then he condemns you because you fell into it your whole life. I want you to see these videos, and then we're going to hear some testimonies. Are you all up for that? All right, go for it, guys. Hillbilly heroin. OCs. Smurfs. Smurfs. 80s. Big boys. Dollar bill. Green goblin. Painkillers. It makes your life a hell on earth, eventually. Painkillers are derived from opium. They're used for medical purposes. They're a manufactured substance. They're like a synthetic heroin. It's basically as powerful as heroin, and it will affect your nervous system in the same way. It's a, it's a pharmaceutical. It's sold over the counter as a painkiller. It's mostly given to like cancer patients and stuff, and like people who have back surgeries. You know, mainly used for people who are terminally ill to block off their pain receptors. Normally, you get them through a doctor. You can also buy them on the streets. It comes in either liquid, like the cough medicine, tablets, or capsules. With the fentanyl, you know, those actually come in a, a box of what we call the lollipops, because they actually look kind of like lollipops with a little thing at the end of the stick, and it looks like you're just eating a lollipop. Some of the painkillers are like Oxycontin, Hydrocodine, Lorotabs, Percocets, Vicodin. There's like different milligram forms. It starts out, I think you can get like 10 milligram pills, 20s, 40s, 80s, and then there's like 160s that are hard to come by. When I first tried it, I was 16 years old. I was probably 18. I was 21. I started painkillers at about 28. It was hydrocodone, a prescription painkiller. I'd first gotten it prescribed to me from a doctor. I was on prescription pain medication from my doctor and therapist for a long time, and then I just bought it off the street after that. I, I took the pain pills from a car accident. Had some medical issues that developed because of playing sports, and he prescribed me Lortab and Somas took it for a leg injury. I just thought that it was experimental and I thought it would be cool to try. In the ninth grade in class, my buddy gave me an Oxycontin. A group of friends in high school. It was a cool thing to do at the time. A friend of mine had told me about pain pills and how they made you feel. And I knew they were in the medicine cabinet. 
So that's when I went looking. And then I tried to stop, but it was just way too addictive and I got really sick when I stopped. So I just kept going with it. One thing led to another and before you know it, you're hooked. I had no idea they were addictive till the morning. I woke up and I was freaking out because I didn't have anything. It clicked in my head that, oh my gosh, this is the physical addiction to it. I'm going through drug withdrawal. It's a pain medication. It takes away your pain. But yet when the medication's gone, you just get all that pain back, whether it be emotionally or physically. It just all comes back tenfold. You start to crave it. You start to need more. Within a week or two, I was taking them morning, afternoon, and night and needed them to function. All of a sudden, after you look at it, you're spending like 300 or something dollars a day just to get by you start feeling these awful withdrawal symptoms where you get terribly sick hot and cold sweats i would vomit and vomit and vomit for days on end don't want to eat like forcing myself to eat because i knew i had to it feels like something's coming out of the bones of your body and trying to break out of your skin felt like someone was just like shoving knives into my bones it's like the most horrible thing that you'd ever experienced just feeling like you just got beat up in your mind you're completely panicked you're freaked out you can't hold a train of thought at all you can't function i wasn't even looking for the high anymore i was just looking to get that feeling gone it was i felt like dying all you're doing is is taking it just so that you're not sick you feel like you'll do anything to get it nine times out of ten you will I had a choice to walk out a door and leave my life and my house and my wife or stay and try and make things work and quit drugs, but I walked out that door. I just packed up my things and I left my kids with my parents, I left my family, I didn't tell them where I was going, and I went and stayed with a friend in this rundown hotel full of drug dealers and prostitutes. I was kicked out of my house three separate times. I couldn't believe it had happened to me. Like for me to be homeless, sweaty, hungry, smelly. My daughter seen me passed out on the floor and not being able to wake me up thinking that I was dead. I OD'd. I just woke up on the floor with some huge man, I didn't even know who he was, standing on top of me, hitting me on the chest, telling me to breathe. I woke up in the hospital with a tube down my throat. I was handcuffed to the bed, and I'm thinking to myself, what am I doing here? Destroyed my family. I mean, they, they love me and their family, and blood is thicker than water, but they can only take so much. They ripped my parents up. Like, they didn't, some nights I'd stay out and not call. They didn't know where I was at. And I turned into someone who was just had no emotion. It was just, almost seemed like they're dead all the time. At first, it's like, it's, it's okay to do. It's from a doctor, it's safe. No one told me that it was really addictive. No one told me about the side effects. No one told me anything. They just said, this will take away your pain. They're little, small, round, colorful pills that look so harmless, when really, it's just a death sentence. It sucks. Just when you're doing it, sometimes it feels good because you got a couple laughs with some close friends, but those laughs turn to tears very quickly. You lose track of your dreams and your goals, things that you wanted to accomplish and you want to do in your life. The only thing that's important is the drug, and then before you know it, you wake up 10 years later and you see all the time that you've wasted. It's definitely not worth it. It's only going to take you down. It's never going to take you up. Pot, grass, cash, dope, hash, swag, weed, sticky, marijuana. I ended up being addicted to heroin, coke, meth. I've done it all, and it all started with pot.
Marijuana is the dried parts of the Indian hemp plant. Hash is the sticky crystalline that comes off when they pick it. A lot of it's like from Mexico, shipped over borders, and a lot of people manufacture their own and sell it. Hydroponics is like a system of growing weed. There's a lot of science, there's a lot of chemistry that go into wanting to make it stronger and comparing it to what was available in the 60s and 70s. There is a huge difference in potency. It's so much more stronger. It's so much more intense and so much more damaging to the body. The main mind-altering drug ingredient in marijuana is THC. THC is what gives you high. This drug is a hallucinogen, distorts your reality. It can be green, brown, or gray. It's compressed most of the time, like, into brick forms that are, you know, real compressed. And they bag it into pounds and ounces, quarter ounces. So weed is either smoked or baked. You can smoke it from a bong, a pipe, you can roll it up as a joint. Some people, they'll dissolve the marijuana and butter and they'll make pot brownies, pot cookies, whatever food they want to ingest it with. I was wrestling, I was in football, went to school, got A's, you know, I was a good kid. I had this dream, I was gonna make sure that I had an education. I was a B student, and then I went from that to a C, D. I push aside my studies, I push aside any sports to do the drug. I didn't want to go to school, I missed school all the time. I didn't graduate because of it. Everything kind of slipped away. I lost the glimpse of hope I had. I was probably 13, 14, something like that. I started smoking weed when I was 14, I think. 17, can't forget that day. I saw pot everywhere when I first started doing it. I, it, it made it okay for me. I was with a friend. She's like, it is, it's an herb, it's grown, it's safe, it's natural, and there's no problem with it. I knew other people did it. It seemed harmless at the time to me. Take a puff and pass to your buddy sitting next to you. No one ever did, you know, passed it up. Everyone always took a hit. It started off as something very casual and fun. And then within a few weeks, it was something that became an everyday habit. And then it just turned into a sort of like escapism, just to get away from everything. I smoked weed so I didn't have to deal with life. It was uh, kind of um, taking place of life. There's a common misconception that weed is not like uh, addictive. I never thought I was addicted to marijuana. I thought it was just something that was part of my lifestyle. I thought it helped me relax. I've become so accustomed to like being stoned every night when I wasn't doing it, it was out of the norm. Once you smoke it, you really don't feel like you can do anything without it. You know, you just feel so high. You just wanna be high for everything you do. And there was nothing that I wanted to do with my day other than smoke weed. It was so weird, that was my driven purpose. I always had this idea in my mind that I can live life and smoke weed at the same time, but I never could. I'd wanna get high every day. You know, I'd wanna get high when I woke up in the mornings. My mind was so set on having it that it, it preoccupied so much of my thinking that, that that became all that I did. That was all I thought about. If I ran out of weed, I'd be, I'd be pretty, pretty mad. Irritable and like annoyed with everything. I was tired, I was nervous, I was anxious. I couldn't sleep without it, you know, I'd be up for days when I tried to stop. It's an emotional roller coaster. It's very hard on you. I'd feel depressed by not having done anything better with my life, 
but I would still use the drug to hide from the problem. I was actually prom king. The drug dogs came to school, and I had some joint roaches in the ashtray of my truck, and they found them. I got kicked out of school for it. I dropped out of school. You know, I had no job. I had no money to pay rent. It unconsciously separated me from my family, and I was always concerned with, like, when I was going to go out and party, and it just the priority list of like friends or family just slipped underneath. I stopped trying and when that started that was I mean that was it just led to a different lifestyle. If I needed to get a job interview that included a drug test I wouldn't take that job because I couldn't stop using it. I had a BMW and uh, I loved that car. I loved it. I was so high and I just floored it. Just went all out in it and I took a curve and I lost it. I flipped the car over and my first reaction, I had a quarter pound of weed in there. And my first reaction was grab the bag, pull up my weed. One of my friends uh, was smoking pot, him and a buddy. He was going like 80, went off the road and hit a tree, killed my other buddy. I wound up in prison. I served uh, three years, 11 months, and 19 days. I've been locked up since I started smoking about 12 or 14 times. Went to jail and been facing charges ever since. Got a felony on my record. It ruins your chances to get a good job. It ruins your chances to get anywhere. You know, once you have a record, that's it. So it's it's not fun at all. People say marijuana is a gateway drug. I mean, you can argue that all you want if it is or it isn't. The fact of the matter is, when you smoke pot, the people that you hang out with are going to have other drugs around you. Eventually, you're going to run into it. As much as I hate the word gateway drug, I'm the prime example of it. And I know lots of other people who followed the same path. I basically realized that my gateway to those drugs was the fact that I couldn't stop smoking weed on a daily basis because eventually you build a tolerance and then you stop getting high. So you still crave a high. So you go out and look for other drugs. Which, of course, were even harder drugs. So um, that's how I tried coke. And uh, I'd go over to another friend's house, and people would show up with mushrooms. Hey, you want to buy mushrooms? After that, I started doing uh, cocaine and Oxycontin. Do some heroin. Introduced to coke, Xanax, ecstasy, all that stuff. I wouldn't have touched any of that stuff because I wouldn't even know what being high was. So once you get high, it just changes everything. Maybe nothing horrible is going to happen to you those first 10 times you do it. But before you know it, it's going to be a huge component of your life. And personally, I wish I would have just avoided it. I know people who've grown up and never smoked weed and are perfectly fine. They're socially accepted. They have great lives. It's all a big hype, you know what I mean? It's, they just tell you that, oh yeah, you know, you just get high, whatever, everything will go away. That's, that's BS. The problems that you had before you got high are still going to be there when you're done being high. You're going to ruin relationships. You're going to get yourself in trouble with the law. You're going to screw your finances up. You're going to screw your future up. It took away you know, my chances of wrestling in college or playing football in college, going to college for academics because I was capable. And that is all gone. So now I can't vote, can't do anything normal citizen. I would have been in college right now, about to graduate, probably going for something decent, a good degree, get a job, get my life together, not going through what I'm going through right now. It wasn't something that was harmless. Smoking pot ended up 
taking my life away and lead me onto another life that I never wanted. Alcohol probably took 20 years of my life, and you can't get that back. Alcohol is a drug, which most people don't think it is, but it actually is. It's classed as a depressant, meaning it slows down vital functions in the body. Alcohol is made through the fermentation of fruits and grains. The process of fermentation is basically letting fruit sit and rot until it can produce a mind-altering effect when you drink it. When someone drinks two or more drinks, it acts as a stimulant. When they drink more than that, it acts as a depressant. If you binge drink, what you're doing is you're just drinking repeatedly over and over large amounts and large quantities of alcohol. If you put that much alcohol in your system at one time, you can get alcohol poisoning, which could lead you to go into a coma or even kill you. 12 years old, uh, I was in the seventh grade. Uh, when I was in eighth grade, I think I was 13 years old. It became very regular at 14 years of age. 15 years old when I first started drinking. 17 years old, starting going out parties, doing things like that. At first, drinking was a sociable thing, you know, I drank with my friends. Thought I was really cool going out with all the older guys, and I'd try to show off in front of them and drink myself stupid. I'd just go out and party all night. I waited tables, so it was very easy access to alcohol. It was just hard to say no. It was, it was so readily available, and it was constantly there. My drug problem wasn't something that happened immediately. It happened so slowly that I missed the fact that I was addicted to it. The only type of people I would hang out with were people who were using drugs or drinking alcohol. And it got to the point where that's all I cared about. It became far more than just a partying thing. It was um, a necessity. Without having alcohol in me, I could not function. I, I kind of became a loner because I just all I ever wanted to do was just drink and drink and drink. It felt like it was my only friend. felt like that it was always there for me somewhere. You know, when things were going bad, I could always have a few drinks. Well, for me, it was never a few drinks. It was always a lot of drinks. I was consuming about 30 beers a day, a whole case of beer, and three-quarters of a gallon of light rum. I would essentially have that and black out every night. I could do nothing but drink 24-7, drink, pass out, drink, pass out. I literally started drinking so much that I would shake if I didn't have a drink. When I would not drink, I'd get extremely sick, definitely sick. Just really achy all over, and you have headaches, and you're so dehydrated that you just, you have no energy. Alcohol had been, you know, in and out my body so much that it had tore away some of the lining of my esophagus and blood was creeping in. I was a physical disaster. I was that far in my addiction of physical withdrawal that when I shut that alcohol intake off, my body tried to shut down. The actual withdrawal from alcohol can kill you, for one thing, if it's too, in too intense. Uh, your body has no vitamins, or is dehydrated, and you can have DTs, you can seizure to death, that's terrible. I got a phone call. You know that my father's in the hospital and that he was really, really sick um, and that he wasn't going to make it. So the next day I got on a plane to go home. And my only way to confront this was to drink alcohol. So I showed up at the airport pretty drunk and my family, you know, saw me there and, you know, they didn't know what to say. The worst thing about it is that my father was kept conscious so that he could see me before he passed away. But instead of disgracing his memory, they'd put him on life support. I had gotten kicked out of this bar for fighting. I was beyond drunk. 
and uh, I was attacked and uh, raped. And I went home and I stayed in my apartment for a week. My mom would come knocking on the door. I'd pretend I wasn't home. I felt like it was my fault. You know, I was the one that was at that bar. I was the one that was getting drunk. I went home and I had a roommate. And for some reason, we got into an argument, which resulted in a fight, and the cops got called. I blacked out for part of it, so I couldn't, I couldn't figure out why I was waking up in jail. I drank some beer there at the uh, bar inside the, the airport. I just ordered another beer and put my backpack on and started walking through the terminal smoking a cigarette. I, I didn't care what I was supposed to be doing, and I uh, ended up getting a fight with the uh, police there at the airport. And I woke up in jail, I had staples in my head. In the military, I woke up and uh, I actually had to crawl on my hands and knees off the flight deck of the carrier because I couldn't walk. And then I got discharged from that and lost a girlfriend and a, a kid and my whole life. I drank to blackout one night. Well, sometime about an hour later, I got back up. I went to my bedroom, my wife wasn't there. I went to the girls' bedroom and they were all in the bed together, basically hiding from me through a blackout. And I decided right then that I couldn't stay there anymore. I was afraid I was going to hurt someone in a blackout. If I had known how sneaky and dangerous and insidious alcohol is, if somebody had kind of told me, and if I had known that it's not this symbol for a good time, I think that would have made a difference. It's not like some of the other drugs that instantly after your first time you're hooked and you're addicted to it. A lot of times, you know, most of my friends didn't even like the taste of beer when they first started drinking. It started out as something that was fun, something we did on weekends. How it progressed to an everyday, all-day thing is beyond me. I have no answer to that. I do not understand how that happened, but it did. It's nothing but misery. The last 12, 13 years of my life, I've spent probably over half a million dollars and over four or five years of that has been institutionalized, whether it be in a alcohol treatment rehab facility or, you know, incarcerated. Well, alcohol is just as bad, if not worse, than heroin or barbiturates or anything else. I don't know, if 60% of the people go out to drink and get drunk, chances are that they're going to lead to something else and they're going to end up on the downward spiral. I may not be very old, but I have definitely seen some hellish things from alcohol. I didn't, to be honest, I didn't think someone could get to the point that I was at at my age. I thought that took years and years, but no downward spiral. It might seem fun at the beginning, but after you get stuck in that lifestyle for years, you realize how not fun it is. It's terrifying. I wonder why I'm doing this tonight. But if it saves one person, from going through what you see these people going through, come on, Dan, come on, Daniel, it would be worth it to me. Like I said, I grew up with that. I remember one night, I've probably never told anyone this story, but um, I don't want but one microphone up here. So uh, 
he doesn't have any issues back there. Um, I remember one night, I was a daddy's girl, and um, y'all can sit down. And um, I was laying in my bed, and um, my mom and dad had had an argument about my dad drinking. And he was gone, you know, he was drunk. And so when they would have an argument, he would get in the car and drive. Well, he'd already had two wrecks. One, he'd lost his right eye and he couldn't see out of it. He had a glass eye. The other, he was in such a severe automobile accident that he went under an 18-wheeler and almost died. They thought he was dead and um, chopped the top of the car off. And he was in the hospital for a long time. And... um, I know my sister's watching. She's probably crying right now. But uh, it wasn't fun. But I remember this particular night. And I wouldn't call myself saved then. He left. And um, I just lay there in my bed. I couldn't have been over. 10 or 11 years old and just cried and just prayed that the Lord would protect him and keep him from killing himself or anybody else. And that's the way I grew up. And I don't want to see anybody have to go through that. Because I know my daddy didn't intend on being an alcoholic. And I know what hell it was for him to get free from it. And he did get free. But it's not easy. It's easier to never start. And if we can help you to never start, that's the best. I brought these two guys up here. Most of you don't know this because they're such solid Christians and ministers of the gospel and have been such a tremendous help to us that I had to really ask them to do this for me tonight. But I wanted to let you hear a little bit of their stories and basically the hell they went through. And uh, and I keep using that word because it is hell. Uh, There's not another word in the whole world to describe what it is. And um, when you're around it and you know somebody with it. Um, Daniel, why don't you go first and um, tell a little bit of of your story, uh, however much of it you want to. Y'all for this? Yes. All right. Go ahead. Praise the Lord. Well. Turn his mic on there, Jason. Which mic do you need? You want my mic? That mic? Okay. Give him Rob's mic. Hello. There it is. So. Turn it down just a little bit. My situation was 
way different because I was raised in a home that my mom and dad took me to church. And I don't remember a time being alive that I wasn't in church and singing. And ever since I was three years old, I've been on a stage singing at church. And I loved the Lord as much as I knew. And I went all the way through school, all the way through high school. I was number one in my class all the way until I was a senior. And then my senior year, I just... It, I fell off, and I got. I was thinking about this over the last few days, and and just asking the Lord to take me back to help me pinpoint what happened. And the thing that I, that a lot of people think is that it's the crowd that you're running with, but that wasn't the case because the crowd didn't influence me. It was what got to me was that the enemy was able to get me to start listening to music that because I was a singer. So. Uh, hanging around with people and 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 listening to at that time hip-hop got real popular and and at the same i was raised in the generation where it was just say no to drugs you know nancy reagan and all of that well at the same time it's no surprise that the explicit lyrics and all that was taken you, you could publish that kind of stuff and sell it in stores and so all of us kids at that time started listening it was the cool things to get the music that had explicit on the bottom right corner of the cd case and so we started listening to music talking about smoking dope and getting high and sleeping around with everybody and when you listen to that kind of stuff and you get that kind of stuff in your mouth over a, a period of time it'll affect you Turn my mic on. Mm-hmm. what happens this that's right Yeah, absolutely. So, over it it didn't happen immediately. But that's because these spirits started hanging around him. That's right. That's exactly right. Getting closer to him. I want you to understand this. He didn't get possessed with a spirit, but these spirits started hanging around him. He opened himself up to them to start hanging around him. That's right. And I just began to... I, question my identity i didn't know who i was in the lord and like she everything that we've talked about tonight i mean i'm back there shaking my head because it is it's like somebody writes a book of what happens it is what happens every single time everybody's situation may be different there may be different reasons why you get into it and you may have a different uh environment that you've grown up but i was a church kid and i loved the lord and by the time I was a senior in high school, I graduated number eight. I fell from number one to number eight, went to school a little bit, ended up dropping out of school. I started experimenting some friends uh, smoking marijuana, and that turned into an addiction. And like the guy said on the video, and I'm going to tell you, young kids, don't let anybody tell you that marijuana is not addictive because I was addicted to it for seven years. And I tried everything. If you, on that video, uh, I pretty much have had my share of it, and and then some. But the hard stuff, I guess I probably had enough church in me that I was kind of scared of that. I did it all, but my addiction was marijuana, and I just like them. And I was kind of high functioning. I don't know if you want to call it that, but I never got to a place where I just quit life. I hit it, and I was living at home. My parents, I mean, I was around everybody. Tell them what else other drugs did you do? Uh, it went from marijuana, like he said, when the high isn't 
as strong as you want it to be, we started getting into cocaine, and I did that and got into crystal meth, and that got dangerous because that's when you start dealing with your health. And I got off into a crowd of people going to raves and doing stuff like ecstasy and party drugs, and that's another one I'm sure that's popular in the schools because they try to downplay it and talk about it just being a good time and a party thing. Well, I, I think I died on the floor one night in Arkansas uh, at a rave. I woke up and there were people standing above me smacking me in the face and telling me to wake up. I know my mom was praying, and I probably wouldn't have made it. But at that point, uh, the Lord got a hold of me, thank God. And um, But with the marijuana, I wanted to say that you can – it doesn't matter if you're not staying in a hotel room with 12 people doing drugs all day and all night. Like me, if you're a high function and you think you've got it together and you can do it all day, and I was going to work, I had a job, and and was able to continue to do all that, but I was condemned. Did you think when you were doing the marijuana that no one could tell? Absolutely. I thought that, and I also thought that everybody's doing it. Because Uh I did have a crowd of people, doctors, lawyers, judges, Mm -hmm. that were doing it. Mm -hmm. And so that's what the enemy says. Well, you know, it's nothing... Special, everybody's doing it, just not everybody tells everybody that they're doing it. And it's a lie. Not everybody's doing it. But he'll do anything that he can to get you to accept it and to get you to to downplay the severity of it. And with me, I realized, okay, I woke up one day and said, Lord, I, I was saved when I was a little bitty kid. But I got off into where, I mean, it was getting to a point where I even started questioning the reality of God. And that's the devil's end game. He wants to kill you, and he wants to take away your faith. And I reached out to the Lord, and I said, Lord, I know I was 18 when I started all that. And at about the age of 25, I turned to the Lord and said, I want Brother Moore and Mrs. Moore have been saying it here lately. And I'd never heard anybody say this at the time, but I laid out across my bed. I'd moved back home after I dropped out of school and was laying across my bed. And I said, Lord... I'm going to serve you. I'm going to give you my life because I've made a mess of it, and I don't know what to do. And I've tried everything I know how to try to get free, and I can't get free. But if you're real and if 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 what I've been hearing is true, then I want to know you for myself. I want to know you, not my pastor's God, not my daddy and my mama's God. I want to know you for myself. And he rescued me. And I'll say this. Nothing is too difficult for the Lord. If you are caught up in something like this, there are people that have struggled with it for a long time. That's because they're trying to do it in the flesh. But if you'll turn to the Lord, and like I did, I said, Lord, I surrender myself. And that was the word that was my word for a year. I surrender. I give you everything. He told me, if you'll give me your, you know, and I say he told me, I don't mean I heard a voice, but I just knew in me, if I'll give him the best that I've got, He'll give me the best that he's got, and I am in the best that he's got, and I'm married to the best that he's got, and I'm living in the best that he's got and driving the best that he's got, and I'm telling you, the answer is God. The answer is Jesus, and he can take it away from you. He delivered me instantly. Whenever I turned to him, it all fell off of me immediately, and there was no struggle. And then I smoked cigarettes. I went to, I asked the Lord for more, and uh, he, I got filled with the Holy Ghost one night, and then that fell off of me, and I didn't ever smoke again. So, praise God. God. 
Praise the Lord. Addiction is addiction. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Um, I was raised, my family ran bars my whole life. I sat at the end of a bar since I was five. And I'm not proud of it. And it messes you up. And I mean, I, I, I was in there with all those spirits. Now, they didn't affect me then, but they were getting on me. And they were getting a game plan down the road. It took them 17 years. I was about 16 or 17 and kind of sitting over there, I remember in high school, I was smoking dope with the seniors and uh, ran around the sports guys and uh, kind of hung out with them to fit in. And before I knew it, I was doing other things. And uh, I was seeing what kind of brought some of that on is I was, my parents were split up and uh, my mother, my father didn't drink. He, he said only foolish people drink. He sold alcohol. He said, you can take all their money, and it was kind of a, a strange thing, but it worked, worked for him But in the end. But, you know, by sitting there and watching all those people and everything, I didn't see them all messed up because I was a kid, and we were just playing. But before long, I was doing things. I was, you know, when I was 18 years old, my father gave me the bar he bought the day I was born. That was a... Uh, no, he didn't understand. He was the greatest guy there was. He just was just confused. And uh, I got in there, and I was working from 6 o'clock in the morning till midnight. And uh, I came to the conclusion, if you're drinking from 6 o'clock in the morning till midnight, something else is going to have to happen because you'd get drunk. And so I started finding speed. I started finding all the hard drugs and like Dan, Danny, Daniel said, you do it, you start. There is no such a thing as just one joint. There is no such a thing as one pup. It, that's a lie. I'm here to tell you that you will end up in a train wreck. And if you have a personality somewhat aggressive like me, you will go all the, I mean, you'll go until you crash. And then I, I got relatively straight. Uh, through my family, different things, and then I got married to my wife, and uh, they told her that she had cancer. And I thought, you know, this God, and, and I didn't know the Lord, you know, but I thought, how would God do something like that to a person? Because that's what church people tell you. I mean, or did back then, you know, he's teaching you a lesson. I'm thinking, he ought to be teaching me a lesson because I've been a stupid heathen that's done everything and hurt everybody. And so then I went back in it. And when I went back in it, it went from zero to a 1,000 mile an hour almost overnight. And, and you, you crush your family. I mean, I saw a crusher. I saw a crush my dad. I saw, I mean, it was horrible. And, you know, every night. You know, you're gone for however long you're gone. You're doing whatever you're doing. And, you know, people say, uh, can't you just stop? No, you can't. I'd go to bed every night or some nights I'd be up for days crying, scared. I thought I was going to die doing drugs. I didn't think there was a possibility ever of me ever not doing them. And, I mean, I, I was a mess. And one night I went home, and uh, the Lord came on the TV, or I, I, and 
somehow it was Robert Tilton and he spoke through the camera <clears throat> and he told me where I'd been that night and I thought if there's a God this is it and so we moved to Texas and I mean I left everything my family was not happy with me <laughs> it was kind of a, a mess you know like I dumped them but I knew that if I didn't walk away I was going to die. And I was going to lose my father and my wife. They set me down. And they had the nerve to tell me how it was. And, and this was not a good, pleasant moment for me. But I thought, those are the two best things, Lord, you've ever given me. And I, and I knew the Lord then. I was starting to know the Lord. Let me restate that. So I moved to Texas. And what I did is I bought 50, cassette CD, 50 cassettes of R.W. Shambach. And I listened to them 24 hours a day. People say, how did you get free? That's all I listened to. People say, you listen to any other, other movies? No. If it wasn't Hallelujah or Always or The Glory of God or Healing, I didn't have it on. So let me interrupt you there yes, so that people are clear for just a minute. You had to totally and completely cut off your old life and move into a new life to get and stay free. You could not stay in the same environment. You couldn't stay with the same friends. You couldn't even stay with the, basically your family, your job, anything. In order for you to be free, you had to cut ties with everything to be free. And you had to, you had to get basically you the same thing. I've heard that almost every time, not almost, every time everyone that I know that has gotten free from a real addiction of any kind... They've had to break free from the people that they've been around and the things that they've been around in order to get free. Yeah. I had to walk out. Yeah. And my family was not happy. We were running businesses. They, yes. they said I, I mean, pretty much abandoned them. I just caused them a mess. But it was me living or staying there. Yes. You know, and uh, you don't need money after a while. People yeah. give you, they'll give it to you. Yeah. Because you're a good timer. You're, you're really not, but you're as messed up as everybody else. But, that, but I got so entrenched in the Word, and that's what you have to do all the time. You have to be there all the time. And I, I, I bounced a couple times on, you know, I, fell, I don't know if it's a wagon, but uh, I fell off of something in Texas when we moved down there. But I, the Lord, as I was going to church and I was reading it and, and uh I was sitting in a room, we were doing hard drugs, they were smoking stuff and shooting it, and I just was snorting mine. And I started preaching to this guy, and he said, don't you think that's kind of hypocritical? <laughs> Talking about Jesus doing dope? I said, you know, you might have a point. <laughs> I said, I think I've had enough. I can see the room right now, I can see him. I walked out the door. Never been back. Yeah, but even in that, I mean, I was so full of it in that work in there, and we were doing whatever we were doing. But I mean, here we're cutting up lines, snorting. I'm going up, oh, praise the Lord, and, and I mean, you know, and they're thinking that's nutty, but that's all I had in me because I was listening to those CDs, and I was and I was going to church, and man, I gave my life to Jesus probably every other it's, Sunday. It's the very example, though, <laughs> so that. You're, you're doing good. Okay. It's the very example of 
what Keith says about being free from cigarettes. Yeah. Every time you take a yeah. puff, yeah. you say that I'm free. Oh, yeah. Every time it's the very example he gives of that with the drugs. Every time you're doing it, you're saying that I'm yeah. free because it's getting in you that you're free. That's right. You know, even yeah. if you made a mistake, it's getting in you that you're free. Yeah. And that's right. so that's what was yeah. happening with you. Yeah. So that you know, exactly. whether you understood it or not, but that's what was happening. It yeah. was getting in you that you were free. Right. Yeah. But it's horrible. Yeah. But like she said, it's you're putting that word in you so much. I mean, it was going in. And, you know, I felt bad every time I did it, believe me. Yeah. And, but I could, I could start to sense something, and then just that one day, it was just like that. As soon as he said that, it was like, you got a good point. And I walked out that door, and, and people say, now, I've got friends. I've only got two left that are alive. They're all dead because of drugs or alcohol, or, you know, and most of them are incarcerated. Thank you, Jesus, that I never got incarcerated. But point being is I'd go to see them sometimes because they'd say, oh, come on by. One time I went by a buddy's house. No, I, actually, I met him at a racetrack, and he pulled some dope out of my, his pocket. And he said, what do you think? I said, I thought we had this conversation before I came over here. He goes, well, nobody will know. I said, oh, okay. So you're thinking the Lord won't see you and me smoke some dope. Well, you know what I mean? I said, no, really. You have to explain to me how this is going to work. He couldn't. And, and, but this is a full-blown heathen prison. Okay? I left then, and I mean, it was only the mercy of God I got out of there. He called me up 45 minutes crying. He said, I apologize. He said, if I was your friend, I'd have never done that. I said, you're just messed up. I said, you know, you're a heathen. You're doing dope. What do you expect? But And so after that, when I'd go back to the peak, I was just there the other day, people will call you, and, and I'd go see them, but I'd always take somebody with me. I'd go with my brother or something like that. You don't go to somebody, and you don't hang out with them. You know, you don't meet them in bars. You don't, you don't do that stuff. And like I told Miss Moore the other day, if I was to next week go to a bar and drink a beer, within two or three weeks, I'd, I'd be on a train wreck crash to death. It happened that fast. You, It's like something has a hold of you and it just keeps pulling you back to hell. It's the spirits. Yeah. It's those very spirits. And you don't want to give place to those no. going into those places. Yeah. You don't want to go back in those. People think that they can go into an environment and minister to people. Why don't you wait till they come out the door? Don't get on the de devil's turf, yeah, right. you know. Don't go in there to minister to them. Come, wait till they come out the door. Yeah. Don't, don't play with these kind of things, you know. Um, you see these spirits that what they will do is even before you, if you try a drug the first time, what the devil will do is see all these spirits still. You can't see them, but they're all over the floor down here. They, they will keep drawing your mind. They will, and, and they'll start harassing you and you'll start thinking about it and that's because these spirits are trying to get you to think about the alcohol think about the drug and then they'll get closer and closer and and, and you'll have to start thinking about it continuously well it, and eventually here's what's going to happen you're going to eat it yeah. Yeah. that's what's going to happen yeah. it's going to be in you yeah. you're going to become obsessed possessed with that alcohol spirit with that whatever it is because you hung around it too much, you know. And so what I want us to do now is I want us to take the time 
and I want us to see how to get free of it. And I had it on my heart. I didn't know what they were going to say. I, I didn't let them tell me their exact stories about, about how they got free. I wanted the Lord to be able to do it, and I wanted to be able to hear from Him myself. And I had them to prepare communion, because I don't think this is something that you need somebody to pray with you about. I think this is something that is between you and the Lord. It's a commitment that you surrender yourself to the Lord. It's a commitment that you say, Lord, I am done with this. Lord, I am, I am, this is over with in my life. This is forever my past. I am done with this. And you may not do it right here and now in this auditorium. You may not do it, you know, around a bunch of people. You may have to get in your bedroom tonight. But what I want to do is I want to read you these verses right here as we get ready to take communion. Let me read you this. Let's see here. I've got so many notes that we didn't, but it's just good anyway. Um, Isaiah 53.5 in the Amplified Classic Edition. You can't say just Amplified anymore. It's, it's the classic. 53.5. You all know it. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our guilt and our iniquities. Iniquities means our sin and our wrongdoing. The chastisement of our peace and our well-being for us was put upon him. And with his stripes that wounded him, we... What's that next word? We are healed. And made whole. We are healed and made whole. So as we take communion, as we take this body, it was broken for you. As you take this communion, I want you to think, everybody out there, everybody in Branson, as you break this communion, I want you to think that his body was broken for you so that you could be free from whatever addiction it is. Whatever addiction that you have in your life, I don't care if it's watching soap operas and you want to be free of it. I don't care what addiction you have. If it's looking at porn, if it's being um, too abusive to your spouse, I don't care if it's, uh, I don't care what it is. We can be free of it tonight, whatever it is, just as quickly as he got free, just as quickly as he got free, you can be free. And then um, here's another one that I want you to hear. Isaiah 1, 18. Um, I didn't put down what translation this is, so you guys may be able to find it. Um, it says, come, let us settle the matter, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet. They shall be as white as snow. Though they are as red as crimson, they shall be like wool. It does not matter 
what has happened to you, what you have done. It doesn't matter what these two did. I guarantee you can look at Daniel and you can look at Dan. And they know well enough to know that no matter what they did then, they are white as snow today. They are clean by the blood. They are washed by the blood. It doesn't matter how bad they messed up then. It doesn't matter if when they were drugged out of their head, they shot and killed somebody. They'd be white as snow today because the blood washes them clean. It doesn't matter what happened during that time. It doesn't matter who they did anything to. They're clean. They're white. And um, Matthew 26, 28, this is God's Word's translation. And so as we do it, I want you to understand this. It says, this is my blood, the blood of the promise. It was poured out for for the people, for my people, so that all their sins would be forgiven. Not part of your sins, that all your sins would be forgiven. So I want us to take communion over your lives. It doesn't matter even if you don't have an addiction. If you did something to somebody and you want to be forgiven from it. If you've got anything in your life. I want us to do this tonight. And I want us to start afresh and anew from things that's happened in your past and stuff. Let's stand up. Guys, get ready. That are going to serve the communion. Thank you, guys. Did you enjoy that?